everyone, and welcome to episode three of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's weekly Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. I'm up here in Atlanta. He's Andre Fernandez down in the Gables. How you doing, Dre? Oh, not as good as you are. You're up in Atlanta. You're traveling the country still. I mean, I know it's a little risky these days, so you got to be careful and all that, but I miss Atlanta, man. That was one of my favorite stops along the, you know, the NL East tour, especially, you know, when you get to do that. How is Atlanta right now? Uh, Atlanta's pretty good. I mean, I'm not really doing too much of the sightseeing like I normally would. Um, full disclosure right. here, I, my family lives about a half hour north of Atlanta up in the city called Canton. So I'm yeah. basically spending a lot of family time. I'm getting to see my little sister. She's she's 13 now. I still feel weird saying that. Uh, <laughs> I get to see my mom, my stepdad, my two dogs. Mainly here for my two dogs, but I'll digress on that. And I'm here to cover some baseball games and got a pretty good one on Monday. Uh, Jose Urania's first start, Miguel Rojas gets four hits, they get a 5-4 extra innings win, and it sort of gives the Marlins something to help them push forward, especially with this big week ahead. They have two more games against Atlanta, then they've got seven games in five days against Philly. This 10-game stretch here really does play a big factor into just what the Marlins might be able to do in trying to get into the postseason. Yeah, definitely uh, the Marlins. I mean, to me, the big the big win today. You know, on, on Monday. Excuse, sorry, the to, you know to go two and two so far in this road trip. I mean, we looked at the road trip as not just being the Rays in Atlanta, but a, a trip that they really needed to come away with a few wins. Just you know, even just to stay afloat in this race and not get buried, because that was the, the possibility here when you looked at the opponents and you looked at the situation coming up that you that you mentioned. You know, with all the double headers and and just the grind that that's going to be on the pitching staff, but. The pitching staff is, to me, what keeps impressing because these guys, it doesn't matter which starter it is, it seems like they're always getting quality starts and it's keeping them in these games. Now, you don't want the bullpen to put it in the adventure that it's been, specifically with Brandon Kensler, and you hope it's just a blip, but that's two days in a row that your closer has gone out there and at least surrendered the, the lead. You know, they've been able to, today on, you know, the Braves, they were able to, to recover and get the victory. But again, you know, that's that's something that gets a little dicey there and you don't want to see him do repeatedly over and over, especially as we get down the stretch. And it, it just seems like these guys are in a dogfight every single game. So it's going to come down to those arms late in the game. It's going to come down to the starting pitching. And, you know, when you look at going on the road, they've done well on the road, but they need to start pulling off some of these at the old at the home ballpark because two and nine is not going to cut it if they get into the postseason. Two and nine definitely is not going to cut it. And you mentioned starting pitching. I mean, they came into Monday top 10 in Major League Baseball with a sub-4 ERA. And that's even with all the turnover. I mean, Sandy's looks like he's returned to form in his start against the Rays with that bulldog mentality. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about Sixto Sanchez, but three turns in, he looks really good. He's holding his own. Trevor Rogers, he's flat out impressed me. I did not come into him making his debut with any sort of expectations whatsoever. And that's not a knock on Trevor, that's or Trevor Rogers. Sorry. Richards is with the Rays now, but, but Trevor Rogers, he was that first round draft pick out of high school a few years ago. You know, you knew stuff was there. You just didn't expect him to be coming up this quickly and you didn't expect him to be thrown into the fire right away. And he held his own. I mean, he got 10 strikeouts in his last start against the Rays. And I know, it looked good, good command. I mean, he attacked well, you know, gave up a little bit of the home run ball, but it, it reminded me of the way six, though, you know, that's what they wanted, right? That's the whole MO, you know, the strike throwers and whatnot. Well, they're getting it so far. Small, small sample size. These guys have just started. But in Rogers's case, he was a guy that 
you know, I, I joke because the simulator, I go back to the simulator, we were all playing fake baseball when the quarantine started. He was the guy that everyone had, that, that the machine kept putting in the majors. And I'm like, really already? I'm like, that's not realistic. He's still like a year away. Well, guess what? Here he is. And he's pitching well. He's dominant. He's, it looks like, again, I mean, that'd be two guys already, two prospects that you could plug into your rotation and potentially be postseason pieces for you. They wouldn't have, you wouldn't have thought that among the many unbelievable things that have happened this season. You wouldn't have thought that would have happened heading into a playoff stretch where whether they make it or not, you're in a pennant race with two guys that might have not have started until next season or maybe late this season, pitching in meaningful games, beating qual you know handling quality lineups, that sort of thing. You know, it's impressive to see. And that, yeah, one through five, not just one through five, but we, we've talked about that format that they have this year in a tight two out of three window. I mean. It's going to be interesting. You better have a heck of a lineup. I mean, I'm talking Dodgers quality lineup, which could be the case. I mean, they're out around the eighth seed right now. Yeah. That would be interesting to see, though, that, that great damage-inducing L.A. lineup going up against those guys, you know, one, two, and three. Yeah, I mean, the couple numbers I want to point out specifically with uh, Trevor Rogers and Sixo Sanchez. Combined through their six starts, three each, 34 innings, 40 strikeouts, nine walks. When yeah. you look at that from these guys who, again, with all the talent, barely have pitched a half season of double-A each, if that, to come up here against NL East and AL East opponents who were pretty quality lineups throughout, to be holding their composure like that and basically eliminating as much damage as they can and fitting into those spots that were vacated with trading Caleb Smith with Eliezer Hernandez now on the IL, with obviously with Urania, who was on the COVID-19 injured list for the bulk of the season, to see them be able to be, get plugged in there and just dominate is a sight to see. Sixo gets start number four on Tuesday against the Braves, and I'm really interested to see what he does against that lineup specifically because the yes. Braves are always that one team that no matter what seems to find a way against the Marlins. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And six, though, specifically, I know he's been getting even more national attention. The other day, highlighted by MLB.com, one of their like rookie pitchers to watch. One walk and three starts. Just one. <laughs> compared, mean, to that, case. <laughs> compared to 19Ks. Compared to 19Ks, yeah. But, even, but, but just think about that. Like, that. That's a guy, if that continues on average for him, you know, he's not going to, he's, he's, he doesn't, he just doesn't walk people. And I, and we saw that. I mean, we've, we saw, I watched him pitch. I know you've watched him pitch in the minors. I went to see him in Jacksonville last year. And he, that's his, that's his style. He'll, he'll, he'll draw contact, occasionally give up the home run like that, and, you know, give up a lot of singles, you know, not, but when he's not allowing hard contact for the most part and, and is aggressive and attacks that way, that's what you want to see out of your ace, of your potential ace down the road. But, you know, Orenia is one that I want to say I give a lot of credit to today. That was a tough spot to come back after you've been on the shelf so long. And we've seen in spots like that in the past, he's been lit up and by Atlanta. And we know and for him to come in and, and you know, a, a solid start, keep the team in the game and eventually pull out the victory. That's big. And if he can be that kind of a guy as well down the stretch, especially now that you lose Eliezer, that's where the depth mm -hmm. is going to be tested. You know, probably Nick Neidert's going to get a start in one of these doubleheader combos coming up and. You know, they're going to bring Castano back, possibly. So they're going to need all those guys to continue to do well. So it's good to see them staying consistent. Yeah, and then one last thing on Sixto before we move on. Obviously, pitcher from the Dominican Republic always says that he grew up idolizing Pedro Martinez. Well, on MLB Network last week, Pedro Martinez actually scouted and analyzed Sixto himself and 
just to summarize some of his comments out there, basically he said he sees that Sixo has that spirit to compete. He has the confidence, and and then said, I see that he sees the command in him. He sees the aggressiveness, and basically said that he could do what Pedro Pedro said that Sixo could do what he did during his career, and to yeah. get that type of compliment after three starts, yeah. that's that's gotta mean the world to him. Well, just telling you from all the the times that I've been talking to these guys, any any Dominican pitcher that is like their hero. I mean, that's got that he had to be floating for a few minutes as he's watching that because that's his hero telling him not just that you know how good he is, but that he could be as good as him. I mean, that that's 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 tremendous praise. And even you look at the tools and you look at the way that if you break down just you know his delivery, just the the the, the aggressiveness. I like that he works fast on the mound. He's confident. When you put all those factors together, he doesn't seem like a guy that just started pitching in the majors the other day. And then, again, that's going to be huge because they're going to rely on some of these guys probably if they do make the playoffs. And in a pressure-packed series where there's not going to be much room for error, especially in the first round if they get in, you know, in the two-out-of-three format, I mean, that's bam, bam right there. You better have two good days or else you're done. And who knows, if he doesn't pitch in that, he could end up finding himself in a spot where maybe he pitches in you know, who knows, maybe even a decisive game three yeah. or if they were to advance in a game four and something pressure pack situation for sure where you want that kind of composure out of your youngster. No, no doubt about it. Now let's shift over to the offensive side of it a little bit. Obviously, last week at the trade deadline, the Marlins acquired all-star outfielder Starling Marte. They've had six games with him now. They've kept him consistently in the two-hole. You seen a, You saw a few moments from him, obviously, go ahead home run in his first game sort of the best way to to introduce yourself to the Marlins has a few has a few moments here and there what, what's been your overall observation from him a week into his tenure with the Marlins I mean I think just he brings experience I mean the, the like true high caliber like experience to to a team that is going to need it I mean I think you know that that's kind of been the MO that you've seen from this team is the veterans, you know, kind of carrying this thing early on. Now you're starting to see some of the youngsters step up. Now they're getting a little more comfortable, getting a few more at-bats in there. But a guy like Starlin, you know, we know Miggy's the captain. We know some of these guys have been there longer, but Starling can bring that presence. He can bring that, that, that cool head in the clubhouse when you need it. He can, and then if you look at him, not just at the plate, a guy that can hit consistently, but even in the outfield, I mean, he's he's made some plays already. You know, he made some pretty good catches in there. He shows his athleticism still for a guy. You know, we're we're talking about a you know nine year veteran in the majors right now, and that's what you look at what you're hoping to acquire and possibly even keep, which is again something that you know I know we said it last week, but it was kind of it was good to hear that this isn't a rental. At least they're not they're hoping it's not a rental, because even though you have guys coming up, but you in theory you could bring this guy in and he could become one of the big names for the team and continue to 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 bring that sort of like savvy while the youngsters are coming along and you know really it's it's a it's just it's yet another boon because every playoff team every successful playoff team you need guys that are going to know that have been there and then know how to win those those tough games and those tough spots and you know again starlink will just bring more of that you know but i'd love to see that the the intro was you couldn't have scripted it any better. A game winner like that the very first day, you know, now you want to see him kind of stay that way. He's, he was, he's been pretty good the first few games, but you don't want to see him hit a, a bit of a skid either, and that's what you kind of hope doesn't happen the next few games. And especially with the fact that there's only about 20-some-odd games left and the fact that every win, every loss just gets magnified with them being bunched up in that 
wild card spot and trying to find yeah. a way to push past Philly for what, what, number two in the East. What is it, five double headers left or something like that? Uh, I mean, between Washington four, and... You have, they have four over a 10-day span, all in that last homestand. 15 games yeah. in 11 days, and then four games at Atlanta and three games at the Yankees to close out the year. So That's where you need, you need, you need guys that know how to handle that type of a grind and can, t- and can show the younger guys how to, how to handle that type of a grind, and that's going to be invaluable to them going down, going down the stretch. Yeah, and Marlins manager Don Mattingly on Monday after that first week and after that big win... He talked about Marte and just how he's a bit of a quiet guy, but he knows when to bring the energy, knows when to when to find a way to to make sure that he's no that he's noticed and knows when to rally the guys around him. Uh, let's actually listen to what Don had to say about all of that that back on Monday. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Uh, you know, Starlin's really quiet. I mean, he's pretty just tranquil. Yeah, so obviously that's going to be a big piece for them down the road, but also figuring out how they continue to handle the rest of the lineup. I mean, they moved Dickerson up to the leadoff spot, which I was question I questioned at first just because he seems more like that power guy you like in the in that three four spot where they had him all year. But then you consider the fact that he's a guy who will has no problem grinding out the seven eight nine pitch at bats, which are good for that leadoff guy. You just kind of need him to produce if he's going to be in that leadoff spot. He's been through slumps all year, but if Dickerson can find ways to get on base and then follow up with Marte in the two-hole and Aguilar in the three-hole, that could be a really formidable veteran-heavy top of the lineup that could help be that table setter that they're going to need moving forward. Right. I mean, like, like I said to you, I think when we talked about it, if, as long as he's not hitting three for 29 and, he's, mm-hmm. and you're, you're starting every inning with an out, but every, every game with an out, I'm sorry. But yeah, I mean... In terms of the table setter, I think you need that after you you know you traded a piece like Villar like VR and to get a guy but I worry also about the RBI potential too that you might be denied by not by putting him so high. So I don't know. I'm not sold on it completely as far as that goes. 
because it would it really would depend a lot on your middle lineup guys to really step up. Like a Brian Anderson would have to get continue to get hot, be that RBI producer again. So it only works if those things are clicking. But it, by design, he just doesn't strike me as that leadoff type player. But we'll see down the stretch how, how Donnie puts this together. Yeah, I mean, really, at this point, outside of maybe Birdie, do they really do they have a prototypical leadoff type guy? And that's the thing. I mean, I, I know he might not play birdie every single day, but to me, anytime he's in there with that speed, with that disruptiveness on the bases, especially with Sierra out now, you don't really have anybody else to do it. I'd put birdie lead off every time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no to me, there's no way around it. You have to have that kind of a guy to lead off innings, to lead off games, and and just cause that kind of havoc on on the bases. Yeah, no doubt about it. And now let's just look back through that final stretch of what's going to happen. Obviously, they have. They have a couple more games left in Atlanta, and then again, a homestand. They've got seven games against Philly in five oh, days. Seven games in five days against Philly. Three games against the Red Sox, and then five games in three days against the Nationals. Fifteen straight home games, make or break the season, possibly. If we, hopefully, if they don't break it in the next, they won't break it in the next two days. It'll be that fifteen-game home stretch where home has to be sweet home. If not, I mean. It's 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 just it just boggles my mind because they're they're in most of these games and then it's it's just timely hitting by the opponents at home you know you, the the clutch home runs have been going to the other side you haven't seen them much other than the Marte homer the other night you really haven't seen this team really down the stretch put away games or come up with the big hit and it's almost and it's just one of those weird things that they they seem to get that sort of thing on the road but they can't pull it off in their place and they are making good contact I mean again. The ball's flying out, just not up there bad. So, you know, let's see if they can switch this around. Yeah, and I mean, when the ball flies, obviously Marlins Park is still a pitcher-friendly park, which in, in a sense should help the Marlins considering what we've been talking about with their rotation. Yeah. But when you have an offense that still isn't consistently doing what it needs to do, that's going to bite you sometimes. And it bit them a lot last year. It bit them a good amount in the... 11 games they played at home so far. I mean, going 2 and 9, 2 and 9 at home really that's something that's really keeping them on the fence right now from teetering between being an actual legitimate in a semi-safe zone in the playoffs versus fighting for their lives with 3 weeks left. Mm-hmm. And and you look at the opponents too, the Phillies have started to get it together a little bit. They're you know, they're not on the long winning streak anymore, but they're playing much better baseball than they had been early on in the season. And then you have an opportunity because we've seen the Nationals struggle all season long, but they're going to bring those familiar guns on the, on the mound, those guys that can shut you down on any given day. And Boston will be that kind of a team that, that you know, a lot of young guys trying to trying to win jobs over there late in the season, you know, potentially for next year. So, again, danger, two, three dangerous teams for different reasons that, it's not going to be easy going down the stretch, so the, the timely hitting has to be there up and down the lineup for sure. Definitely. And before we wrap this up, I'd be remiss if we didn't at least wish Miguel Rojas congratulations on being the team's Roberto Clemente Award nominee. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's just, he is, as we said, he's the captain of the team. He's the heart and soul of this team. And that honor, I know just speak when we spoke to him a little bit on Monday about it, just you could tell just how overwhelmed he was by the fact that he got the nomination. And after following in the footsteps of guys like Martin Prado, who got, who was nominated for the war a couple years back, it really hit home for him. 
and it honestly couldn't have been given, the nomination couldn't have been given to a better guy. I mean, look, from getting to know Maggie, I've gotten to know Maggie and his family the last few years, and I, I really feel fortunate of that because sometimes, you know, in this business, you don't get to know athletes that well, you know, just because of circumstances. But we don't, we, we, we sometimes say this guy's cool, this guy, that guy's cool. But Miggy's a class act. Yes. I mean, the way, just the, the way he comports himself, not just with like the media, but with his teammates. And, and he's really, for a guy who was really a career backup for so many years, it's impressive to see how much he's not only when he finally got his chance, it was he didn't get so preoccupied with keeping that and and what he needed to do, but he he grasped that team leader you know thing responsibility, and he, and he's taken it to like a whole other level. Like you look at now, I mean, not just the clubhouse captain, but he's hosting that show with you know on, online and and he's doing things in the community. Like he's he he really took what he learned from Prado. And from others in in this profession, and and really just turned into an all around example for what a, a, a real true clubhouse uh, guy, really a clubhouse leader, really is. I mean, you, we that that gets thrown around a lot too, but there's only a few guys in in the sport that really exemplify that type of guy behind the scenes that can really, you know, drive a team and keep them going. You know, and he's one of them. I know he doesn't have a huge, maybe he doesn't have that huge of a name around the league, but. I mean, I think it's pretty well known at this point what what kind of guy what he brings to the table, not just on on the field but off the field. No doubt about it, and like we said, he's produced this year as well. Obviously, we knew about his defense from day one. That's the reason he was able to get up to the big leagues. But you see him step up offensively last year. You see him come up in clutch spots this year. I mean, that first weekend in Philadelphia before he tested positive for COVID and was part of that group. 7 for 10, nearly hits for the cycle in the big game on Sunday. He comes up with four hits in the win against the Braves on Monday. Gets the big RBI double in the 10th to get him ahead. And you can just see the pure excitement out of him every time he steps on the field. Win, lose, tie, whatever. You can just see it from him. And like like you mentioned, just the class act of him. I mean, I'm going to speak personally from here for a second. My first year full-time on the beat last season... I missed the first couple weeks of the season just because of some health issues that went on. The first day I'm back in, in the clubhouse for interviews, Miggy actually one Miggy actually checked up on me to make sure I was okay because he didn't see me for two weeks. And right. that was one of my first that was one of my first big moments in a, covering a big league team and it took me aback. And mm-hmm. it just made me realize that there they are more than just it is more than just talking with guys and doing interviews and covering a game. It's There's a lot of human, person-to-person interactions here, yeah. and he exemplifies some of those some of those bigger, personable, personable, intimate moments that can come throughout a season. And it's just, it's great to see a guy like him get get rewarded and recognized for, for, what, yeah. for what he is and who he I mean, is. I mean, that's something from covering this sport that I learned, you know, when I started from a lot of the veteran guys, and they... they they see us more than they see their own family. Like in, a, in a typical season mm-hmm. where you do have that clubhouse access, I mean, think about the, how long of a grind the season is. They end up seeing their teammates and they end up seeing us more than they do their own families most of the time. And that's the thing. But Miggy gets it. Miggy, Miggy has that same view of it, the same way like you're saying right now. He, he gets that, how important it is. And, and, and he takes the time more than anything. He takes the time to build those kind of relationships. And, 
you know, and that's why when you see a guy excel and, and do well both on and off the field, you feel good for him. I know we're not supposed to really root for guys in this business, but you do feel good for a guy like that when he see when he has success. And and one last thing, if we to, to wrap up the Rojas topic, I do want to send a shout out to his mom because I know she was you know again battling breast cancer recently. Mm-hmm. So we hope she's doing better. We hope she's doing okay in Venezuela. And uh, shout out to Norma from both of us. Definitely, and I think that's gonna wrap it us. Wrap it up for us here. Three episodes in. We're going to keep this going. We're going to have another one out keep here next going, week. Let's see. We'll, we'll play, pennant race. It's pennant race. No, yep. Pennant race baseball, folks. This is what we've been hoping for. Hoping to see after, what has it been, a decade since the last winning record? Well, 2003. They, 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 they get in, they win it all. Yeah. So 2003, last make, time they made playoffs. 2009 was the last winning record, though, in general. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? Yeah. Forget the winning season. They don't. They don't want to go thirty-one and twenty-nine. They want to get in and yeah. do some damage. That's the spirit, Dre. Yeah. All right, yeah. I'm Jordan McPherson up in Atlanta this week. He's Dre down in the Gables this week, and we'll be back back with you guys again next Tuesday. Thanks so much, everyone. See you guys.